0: Hey everybody, it's officially draft season and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Media Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the Great Stone Hanson and the next in our series of guests here talk about the Indiana Pacers. The great Alex Golden. He's at Alex Golden NBA. He's the host of Setting the Pace podcast. Uh you're I, we've had a couple blue wire pod uh guys come on. So you're you're um you know in in, in good company there. Uh, Alex does a lot of great work covering the pacers, and um this is a fun, fun team.
1: So, Alex, my friend, how are you doing? I am doing great. We are just, I'm basically two weeks away from the NBA draft, just a little bit under, and it's like, can we please just get here? I'm excited to see what happens. Obviously, the NBA final is still going on, enjoying that when it happens, but uh, I think for the other 28 teams that aren't involved, we are ready for the next stage, and that is the offseason, so uh, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. You say two weeks till the draft, like, uh, you're excited, and while I understand that, for me, that's,
0: oh my goodness, I have two weeks to watch, like, 57 more guys and finish recording <laughs> and editing podcasts and um no but no i'm doing good you are actually i just realized this you're the second alex we've had on today so that's oh, nice. uh that's uh you know it's it's a good name it's a good strong name Stone, Stone, how are you doing
2: i'm doing good um yeah i've uh just been busy grinding all this tape and, and recording all these podcasts so excited for draft to come um so that can end and, and we can just enjoy the day Uh, Because it is the most fun day of the year, so I'm excited to talk here with Alex and and get his perspective on the Pacers, who have a ton of picks in this upcoming draft. Yeah, this is this is an exciting pod to do, not only because they have a ton of picks, but because the Pacers were
0: so interesting last year. um, Tyrese Halbert took the leap. Uh, I I think that's that's the easiest way to describe it is he kind of went from oh, really nice, really nice midseason acquisition, high upside trade of Demontis Bonus got a lot of. You know, obviously a, a huge build around talent in return. And then he he proved that he's worthy of being that build around talent. But in general, Alex, obviously towards the end of the year, they kind of stopped. They kind of took their foot off the gas. They wanted to, to get a good pick. But there's a lot of young players on this team. They they had a really fun season under Rick Carlisle. What was like your general vibe about the Pacer season last year?
1: Yeah, so it was kind of crazy because like it first started off, Miles Turner wasn't able to play in the very first week of the season because he got injured during warmups. And it's just like the guy was coming off of an injury and then he gets uh, injured in a warmup by a staffer. And it was kind of crazy because everyone was like, what's going to happen with Miles? That was a big question mark. And then he finally came back and the Pacers were really good with him. So while it was Tyrese Halliburton's all-star season and it was basically about him and the young guys Mather and Emhart kind of showing up and showcasing what they can do, Miles Turner really balled out and he got himself a nice contract extension with the Pacers when it felt like all off season long, he was going to be traded. So expectations coming into the year, man, it was just like, we're not going to be very good. Everybody was saying that publicly, like be patient with us. And then all of a sudden at the halfway mark, they're 23 and 18. So at this point, everyone's thinking, could this be a playoff team? They're better than, you know, they anticipated being so, Ends up, Tyrese gets hurt in New York, misses like the rest of January. The Pacers go on a terrible losing streak. And then post All-Star break, they kind of repositioned the way they were going to go about the season, uh, slowly brought Tyrese back into the mix. But once they weren't able to really get over the hump and make a push for the play, and they decided the best option for us is just to go into the Wimby sweepstakes and try to get a chance, you know, at that lottery ticket. So Personally, I thought, you know, this team probably would have been better uh, than their record indicated, which was 35 wins Had Halliburton and Turner played the final couple of weeks, you know, uh, consistent minutes. But I think long term picture, they really like what they have, but at the same time, they're still not sold completely on what their long term core is because they, they did mention that at the end of the season presser that they're still trying to figure out who's going to be a part of that core moving forward.
0: And and I, I I that's a great place to start, actually, is with the core and and with where you think this team is going. I mean, I mentioned the young players, so obviously Hal Burton, right? Hal Burton is um, probably going to get a huge max extension this offseason, I would imagine. Um, you got Benedict Matherin, who was the sixth pick last year and had a really solid start to his rookie season and a pretty rough end to it, I would say. Uh, you have guys like you know, Smith is on the edge of this roster. He played quite a bit. Didn't he? I believe he started most games last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Nemhard was a really solid second round pick who looked good. Um, and then obviously some some veterans, guys like Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell. Um, you know, maybe even Chris Duarte should fall in that veteran category as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex, what are just like your general thoughts on on this core and what you think it might look like moving forward?
1: Yeah, I would say right now that the only like staples I think of this core for sure are Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, other than that, you, I would say Andrew Nimhard's probably the next in line to be part of this core. But it's still it's still like hard to figure out what the Pacers long term plans are for Miles Turner because it was only a two year extension. So he can go back into free agency in two more years. And basically after this year, they're in the same situation they were in last year, the next year. So it's not like they did this big extension with Miles where it's going to be hey you're here long term and from what i've been told it was kind of both sides that wanted to operate on a shorter term extension so with the uh, extra cap space they had and their abil- ability to renegotiate and uh, and extend it really did make a nice pathway for Miles to get paid a good amount of money where it doesn't hurt the cap flexibility moving forward so i think those are your four players that you're really you know locked into everybody else is going to have to kind of prove their worth in a sense because at this point, the Pacers are trying to make the playoffs. It feels like, you know, they're, they're a team that feels like they're closer than they thought they might be. So you said Aaron Neesmith, really good player last year, ended up coming in playing the small ball four for the majority of the season. And the Pacers, you know, really started turning things around when that happened. So I think they found a recipe there for how to play with miles of the five and the perfect four next to him because originally it was Jalen Smith who had started That's So they brought back, you know, it was a big deal to bring him back because they were limited with, the, with what cap they could bring him back on and how much money they could pay him. So honestly, like when Jalen Smith was unable to shoot from three, like he did the previous season, when after they had traded for him from Phoenix, uh, he kind of found himself out of the rotation. And at one point Daniel Tice was getting minutes over him as well as Isaiah Jackson. So I think at this point, the three, I mentioned Nimhard, Matherin, Halliburton, that's your core Miles Turner is like right there on the fringe. Could be a part of it. Could not be a part of it. It's hard to tell right now. But I think that and then your n- number seven pick in this year's draft are probably going to be who you look at for your core long term. Yeah, I think that's
0: a solid place to start. I mean, obviously, like that's a great transition team. Just kind of putting it that way. You got a couple creators. Uh, the seventh pick, and we'll talk about it. Might not have a ton of creator bets, but it does have a a large swath of guys would be great off ball players. Um, I just want to ask really quickly, you know, if they decide to move off of Turner, which obviously there's been Turner trades uh, ideas every single offseason and and midseason, you know, since what, 2018. Um, But if they decide to move off of Turner or a Heald or anyone like that, what type of like package do you think they'd be looking for in return? Do you think it would just be a package based around picks? Do you think they'd be looking to get a certain player or certain types of players back
1: or just what's your general feel there? It's really tough because I don't think there's a lot of great centers that are in the league that are available right now. Um, You might say that DeAndre Ayton is probably the most available at this point, but you can make the argument that Turner on his contract is better value than Ayton on his, specifically with Turner's ability to stretch the floor and Ayton not really showing that in his game so far. Obviously, they do different things and the Pacers clearly had interest in Ayton last year. It wouldn't surprise me if they did go out and kind of dip their toe in that water again and see, hey, is there something here with Ayton? because they clearly liked his fit with Halliburton uh, enough to give him a max contract offer before, you know, Turner could have left in free agency. So that to me is like, okay, uh, will they be enticed by that again? So maybe just see what's available there. But other than that, I think that um, unless for some reason they're able to move up in the draft, that to me is like where I could see them really dangling Turner at this point. I don't know if his value is good enough to get them up that far I think you'd have to probably include a third team to really move up into that top two, top three, if your target is someone like a Brandon Miller. So that to me is where I think Turner could be available in a trade. But um, other than that, I just don't really know like what exactly his value is because I would think it's the highest it's probably ever been in his career seeing how good of a year he had last year. But at the same time, injury prone guy that had one healthy season in a contract year, are people going to buy into that? And I think that's another hurdle that, you know, he's going to have to prove to people and show that once again, this season. So I, I just think at this point, he makes sense for what they're trying to do. But if a deal came out there, that was big enough, like maybe they could find a a wing that maybe fits more long-term that could be him included in a trade as well. But other than that, I, it's really hard to, to figure out what exactly he'd be, what he'd be worth because he's a good player, but centers, of course, they're not as coveted as some people might think.
0: Yeah, and 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 the teams who always seem to get brought up as like potential targets for for Turner, I, I always think of the Pelicans, right? Or you think of teams that have like they need a spacing five, and I just don't know what the what the mechanism is there. And you mentioned getting a wing that would be great. The amount of times we've seen like good competent wings traded for bigs is very limited. So they are kind of Mm -hmm. at a tough spot. And another thing is while Turner's contract is very conducive to, you know, team success, like it's also sometimes it'd be hard to trade, like to get into like max value, you would have Mm -hmm. to attach other things. And then, you know, you could run into roster spot issues, whatever, but let's talk about the draft. You mentioned, um, you know, you think they're they're pretty locked into the seventh pick, unless they can trade up to get like a Brandon Miller or maybe a Scoot or someone like that. Um, Alex, you have like uh, any guys who you'd be really excited should the should the Pacers pick here at seven?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think for me right now, the person I'm most excited about is Taylor Hendricks with what he brings to the floor. Um, personally, it's it's a toss up between him and Jerris Walker. I think more Pacer fans are in the Jerris Walker camp but I am a little bit concerned about his shot. It just didn't really like, I know he shot decent in high school and at Houston, he didn't shoot great, uh, but Houston obviously only had one other good three point shooter in Marcus Sasser. Nobody else really shot the ball well there. So just kind of a clunky offense in Houston regardless, but back to Taylor Hendricks, the guy that I personally like uh, the best fit wise for this team, secondary rim protector, a guy that can shoot three, uh, a guy that can be switchable. I, I think that sometimes he could play small ball five, but Uh, He is a little bit thin for that. He's going to have to get a little bit bulkier in that area. But uh, I really like the Pacers love playing a five out system, four out system. And Taylor would fit perfectly with that. If one thing we saw with Miles Turner, I'll go back to it with Jalen Smith. He wasn't shooting or hitting his three. So you saw opposing teams put their five man on Jalen Smith and then put fours on Miles which kind of disrupts what Miles can do effectively. So if you put a guy out there like Taylor Hendricks, who shot, what, 39% last year from three at UCF, if you put him out there and he can be a close to a 40% shooter, well, you have to, you know, be honest to his three-point shooting and respect it. So you can't sag off or maybe switch and put a five on him, where on the flip side, I think with Jairus Walker, you could see fives potentially guard him, which would make it more difficult. And the other thing with Jairus Walker is for being 240, 250 pounds, somewhere in between there, he didn't play as aggressive at uh, around the rim. I thought that he settled way too much for floaters, and that was one of the big knocks for me with him. But I, I love his passing. I think he has great feel for the game. I think he's a really solid defender. Don't know if he'll be able to guard twos and threes on switches. I, I'm hopeful that he can, but it's still, you know, yet to be determined. I think he's kind of built more to maybe be, you know, bully down low with fours and fives instead of twos and threes, where I think Taylor might be able to be more switchable on the perimeter. So that's just one of those things. But I I think right now though, Jairus is probably more ready to play and be more effective for this Pacers team than Taylor is. But overall uh, it's, it's kind of a coin flip. You can talk me into either of them, but I just, I just value shooting so much. And I think that they're both different defenders, but I still think Taylor can evolve into a really solid defender if everything works out perfectly for him.
0: I really like the idea of Hendricks here. Um, I just that's a duo that could potentially be like one of the top, you know, three to five rim protecting duos in the league, um, with him and Miles Turner. And I, I think if your goal is to build with Miles Turner as part of the core. Uh, that might be my favorite pick here at seven. I just think that you'd be talking about a really versatile defense, a really well-spaced offense. You'd be putting, I mean, you'd be putting a lot of faith in Tyrese Halliburton, but he's given no reason to not have that faith. And um, I I think Carlisle could do a lot there too. Um, So yeah, I, I, I like that pick a lot. Stone, is there someone or a couple people who you'd be really, really into here at seven?
2: I don't know if it's hard, you know, to say he would be here between five and seven. Like, there's probably six guys that could be in the mix. I'll go with Cam Whitmore if he were to be here at seven. Uh, I really like what he could bring to this team as somebody that um, can be more of a wing for them, but a bigger wing. Like, obviously, he's only like 6'5 or 6'6, but plays like a four. Um, I think he has, you're going to have some patience with him in terms of some defensive attributes early on in, in some um, shooting. But I think the shooting is real. It's going to take maybe a little bit to develop, but I do think it's going to be a real part of his game moving forward. Uh, and in the meantime, he's such a lethal, like, off-ball cutter that I think paired with Halliburton can make a lot of sense. Um, that that I, I really like Hendricks here. Whitmore would probably be, like, 1A and 1B for me in terms of, you know, who I would take for the possible available guys uh, for the Pacers.
0: Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I'll go with I, a guy I bring up all the time in this range, and that's Grady Dick. Um, I, I know a lot of people seem to be, like, more into him lower in the draft, specifically, like, Magic fans I've interacted with are really, like, not into him at 6. But I I like him a lot. I think uh, I have him at 5 on my board. I think he would be um, an excellent fit here on, like, this up-tempo offense playing off of um playing off of uh Terry Halburn. I think he could be that small ball four that you kind of had Aaron Neesmith be in, in a similar way um and I think that his defense is underrated I think um sometimes people look at him and they just kind of assume he's a bad defender and like he has some moments on the ball where he looks pretty stiff pretty rough but I think his off ball defense is really good he's proven that to be really good going back to his um days at Sunshine Christian um or Sunrise Christian excuse me not Sunshine Christian um, and I, I just think like, that's a valuable guy to have here. Um, really probably the best shooter in the draft in my opinion. So that would be a, that would be a really fun get. Um, the other guy I'll shout out, the, the fit would be weirder, but if this team was like, we want another creator next to, or another better creator next to, um, next to, t- uh, Terry Talburton, if they didn't think Nemhard was like starter good, um, I think Anthony Black would be an interesting pick here. Another guy who could really play in a transition up-tempo offense. Obviously, the shooting is a bit of a question, but the defense is good, the passing is really good, the athleticism is good, and specifically in transition, the athleticism and handle really shine. So if you're, you know, if you have guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Black at the one and two, who can both grab and go, I think you're kind of cooking with gas there.
2: He doesn't have to be a point guard either for that fit to work necessarily. Like I think. He could definitely be more of this connective type guy with his insane passing and the um, defensively, like he still brings a lot and he's still a good finisher. Like he's got really good touch around the rim. So I think people might initially see that and be like, why do we need another point guard? But I don't think black has to be a point guard to succeed in the league. And I think that with Halliburton shooting, especially with like his off ball shooting, it could really, that, that pairing could really work. So I don't think there's like an overlap of fit issue with that either.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes people overthink everything when they see a position by name. Um, for me personally, I don't, I actually like Anthony black a lot. I just, I do wonder about the fit just because he's not a great three point shooter at this point. Um, and they already have Nimhart at that position playing the off ball too. And what we saw from him last year, would it be a little bit redundant? So I actually, I, I don't mind him as a player and I, wouldn't say that I'm not a fan of the pick. I would say that I'm more just like, I think there's other options that make more sense. I, I would rather have him than Grady Dick, to be honest with you, uh, just because of the defense. And that's one thing that we've been hammering home uh, from the Pacers front office and their coaching staff and the players. We got to get better on defense. So that is why like Anthony black could make sense. And I, <laughs> and so I don't, I don't hate it. I do worry about Cam Whitmore though, offensively working with this team only next to Benedict Mathern because they, are very low assist players and they're both really like looking to get the ball into the hoop. And Sam Vestani said it great. Like one of the things that Cam winmore does is like, he kind of surveys the court once he gets the ball and doesn't keep it moving. And that's one thing Matherin's had to work on this year as well. So not saying that Cam Winmore can't figure things out. I think he's uh, a player that if you give him the patience and the time he'll figure things out and he's a really, he's a really talented player. That to me is just one I'm a little bit uh, hesitant on, but Somebody that we did mention, I'll just say real quick, is uh, Asar Thompson. I actually like his fit potentially with the Pacers as a, a secondary creator. Uh, he's he's a really good playmaker. I mean, if you actually watch him with the tape, like you know, Amin's known for it, but Asar's really good at it. I think with the seven foot wingspan, his defense could be there too. So he's going to have to work on his shot. I mean, there are some concerns about his half court offense, but I, I think that from everything we've heard about Asar, it's just like mentally these these t- Thompson twins have it and they're going to be able to figure things out, and they're not going to let things get too big for them. And I love, the, I love the comp to Andre Iguodala. If he could be that for the paces, I think that's almost like a missing piece that they have on their roster. So uh, I would say for me, I think Asar probably got the highest ceiling of the guys that I'm interested in at that point. But I'm just, for the safe bet, I would say Taylor Hendricks. But uh only person I'm probably out on at seven, I just feel like it's a little too soon, is Grady Dick. I just uh, like the offense, but I do – I know, Bryce. You said the defense isn't as bad as people think, and I agree with you. But it's still not great, and that's one thing the Pacers have to improve on is defense. And I just kind of worry about that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair, and and uh, he's definitely a worse defender than um, than someone like Taylor Hendricks. Um, yeah, you mentioned that's kind of the only name you dislike, honestly. As I kind of game out, you know, my board and knowing the guys who are sort of in this range. I'm pretty much with you there's you know like i'm a little lower on Asar. i'm a little lower on jura uh Juraice, but i i wouldn't be upset at either of them you know jairus maybe a little bit more just because i i really do i i think of jairus as more of a five or taylor Hendricks is more of a rim protecting four uh mm-hmm. with spacing capabilities like i i think even defensively um he jairus operates best near the rim he's best in drop he's not like a Switch big. He gets really cooked out on the perimeter, as you mentioned. So, would be worried there a little bit. But for the most part, seven feels like an all right spot to be picking. Mm-hmm. um Alex, other than this, the Pacers have picks 26, 29, 32, and 55. Just uh, like, are, are you with me where you assume there's probably no way they're making all those picks? um Or do you think there's a chance that they walk out of this draft with? you know, five rookies, whether they be stashes or not, or just where, where are you kind of at with how you think
1: that section of picks is going to shake out? They've already said that they're not going to take five rookies. So we already know that going into it, they're going to do something with these picks. And I think there's like what, seven or eight teams that don't have their own first round draft picks this year. It's kind of crazy. It feels like multiple teams have uh, multiple picks like magic have two, Pacers have three in the first round. I know the Charlotte's got two, Portland's got two, the Jazz have three, the Houston has two. It's just like, there's so many teams with multiple picks. The Nets have two. Sorry, I just thought of another one. But it's like, uh, eventually you're going to try to figure out what to do with these. And we already kind of saw a blueprint today of what OKC did with Denver, uh, making that trade with those picks. Is there a possibility that someone like the Knicks or the Celtics or somebody like the Cavs, they come knocking on the door and saying, hey, we want that pick we'd like someone back so uh, in the back half of the draft. So uh, first round anyway, can we maybe trade you a future pick for that or something like that? And I think that's where things could get interesting for the Pacers, Um, maybe moving one of those picks into a 2024 or packaging them up and then trying to move up into the draft. Someone like the Lakers or the Warriors who uh, they're going to be tight with their cap restrictions. Maybe Mm -hmm. they want two picks in the back half of the first round that could be cheaper salaries that could help their team. Because I feel like, Once you get out of like the top, what do you say? Like 15, probably 15 to 35. It feels like it's pretty interchangeable. You can make the case for a lot of these guys um, in the draft class. So I think that's something that the Pacers have their eyes on somebody that they can move up and look at. So, yeah, I think they'll probably take, they could walk away with three draft picks out of this year's class, but five, I just feel like that's way too many.
0: Yep. And I'm with you. And even just looking at this roster, like, I, I, you know, they have, they're losing some free agents, but, and and like, I don't know how exactly they feel about like a Kendall Brown or, you know, any, anyone like Mm -hmm. that, but I I don't think they want to just like roster a ton of rookies and be forced into having to give up some of their veterans. This is, you know, Carlisle, even if he's not trying to like win a championship next year, I don't think wants to do like a large tank again or anything like that. Let's talk about some, some guys you may be looking to trade up for, say they could get up to, you know, that it's 18 with the Heat, 17 with the Lakers, 19 with the Warriors. Like say they could get up into that range. Who are some guys you'd be looking to target, Alex?
1: It really just depends on how you value these guys. I think that the first name that I really have liked since last year, but he ended up not staying in the draft and went to the G League is Leonard Miller. I think he would make a ton of sense for the Pacers with what he does. Uh and I think, I think he could go in the top 15, so I'd be kind of surprised if he's out of the top 15. But if he's there at like 17, 18, I'd be calling to try to get him. Another name is someone that's kind of been falling, so I don't know if they would have to trade their pick, but I think if they – there's a team out there that would be willing to take a risk on that's Gigi Jackson from South Carolina. I just feel like the Pacers need fours badly, and at just 18 years old, the youngest guy in the draft, they could really just take him and bring him along slowly. I think that he's someone that could really make sense for them and really could fit with what they're trying to do long-term if he can evolve into the player that everyone expects him to eventually become because the talent's there. like He's a raw athlete and uh, very immature, got a lot of red flags, but the upside is there if everything clicks. So those are two names I really like um, for potentially moving up other than that, I mean, I'm sure there's always different options in case somebody falls and that kind of thing. But um, those are two names I would trade up for if they're able to get back into the lottery. Um, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure exactly where this player is going to fall, but if he did fall for some reason, I've seen him fall to like 15 before is and Wallace. Like, I think and Wallace is just a fantastic player. Uh, I've been on a little bit of a hot take and said, I think he might be my second favorite guard in this draft. I think I'm probably going to back off that a little bit. I think he's maybe my third behind anthony black and scoot but i i think he's in the top three for guards in this draft for me personally
0: i have i mean i have wallace at four like four overall on my board so I'm i'm even like i'm very high on wallace i think if you could get him um i would i would do it and and you're right like it just seems like he has been falling on boards for whatever reason and you know the raptors at 13 maybe an option um there's always guys teams that would be willing to to make some deals Stone, who are some guys stand out to you that you'd be really interested in trading up for?
2: <laughs> I feel like we bring him up on every podcast, so we just kind of have to at this point. I think Podziemski makes a lot of sense um, mm-hmm. as a guy who can, you know, play either guard position, can play next to Nemhard, next to Halliburton. Like, doesn't matter what guard combination you want to throw out there. I feel like Podziemski just kind of fits with whoever. Um, because you can play on-ball or off-ball, and I think it allows you just to do more um, with the other guards. Like Now you can maybe play Halliburton more off-ball if you want more of his shooting out there, or you can you know, play a backup point guard. There's just a lot of different things you can do with him, so I like that a lot. Um, the other guy I would throw out here, uh, I, I don't know where his... I feel like his range is probably lottery at this point, so this might be kind of a reach. I do kind of like Derek Lively here, and I'm not mm-hmm. even like the biggest lively guy, but I think that for the pacers it makes some sense because, you know, maybe he's good just good enough as that rim protector to where you feel comfortable exploring what Turner could bring back for you. Um and, and you're able to in the like, you know, in the short term, use him as your backup center. Like there's other things you can do. You don't have to necessarily make Turner expendable, but it gives you that option, maybe if if things were to pan out properly. So those are there's a couple of guys I think just the process of why you might take them makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A
0: couple more guys for me, and, and these kind of
2: fill the mold
0: of, like, wing shooters, Dariq Whitehead and Jet Howard. Should they fall to, like – I don't know if I'd be dying to trade up into the lottery to draft them, but mm-hmm. if they should be there at, like, 17, 18, 19, and you can put together a package to get into that range, I think both those guys would be sound picks. Um, Dariq especially really stands out to me. If, I mean <laughs> – Obviously, this year, Duke was a little bit star-crossed, a little bit injury-ridden, but his Montverde tape speaks for itself. He was the number one-ranked guy coming into the year like out of high school for a lot of people for a reason, because he was so uh, dominant at Montverde, um, and I think that matters. If you go back and watch that tape, he's you know very springy, very athletic, can really shoot the ball. Um, obviously, the self-creation stuff is a bit of a worry for me, but I think the defense and rotation is pretty good, um, that type of stuff. so. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone like Alex that and this can we'll kind of talk about this in a bit of context with should they keep any picks in that in that 26 29 32 area but also like if they're looking to trade up would there be any guys that you wouldn't be super into should they draft them anywhere kind of in this range.
1: Yeah, I'm not the biggest Jed Howard fan. (laughs) I'm just not I I just don't love the the fit with him on this team. So when you brought him up, I was like, ooh, I'm not going to agree with this one uh, just because I'm not the biggest Jet guy. But I do like Dariq Whitehead. A little bit uh, curious to see how he comes back from the injury. Never a good thing to see a guy come into the league with an injury, you know, history. So that is a bit concerning. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I just absolutely don't like for the Pacers in this range. And I can't really think of any. I think all of them make sense that are. uh, How would you feel
0: about Fino if you don't live the Indiana kid staying in Indiana?
1: I mean, if he, if he fell back or if they trade up to get him like, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Coach is a really talented player, but I mean, I think at one point Jonathan Gavoni had him mocked to the jazz at nine, like him taking a huge jump. So I don't know if he would be one of those guys that jumps. I think Keontae George is somebody that's been falling a little bit. I don't know if he would fit in perfectly with the Pacers for moving up, but if he was there at like 26, 29, that could make some sense. I just, honestly, I, I kind of like most of the guys that are in that range that, you know, besides the ones I said I would trade up for, there's not a lot that I think I would, but it's tough. I mean, one person I really do like in the 26 to 32 range, if they stay there, is Trace Jackson Davis from IU. I I like his playmaking ability. I like that he's evolved every single season uh, that he was at IU and just became a better player. I don't expect anything out of him besides being a role player, but I think if he's a backup big on the Pacers team, like you're going to get really good value for him. And you guys talked about it, uh, the value of those contracts. Uh, We've been talking about this off air before we started, but the value of contracts now with the new CBA, having veteran type college players come in that can contribute right away might be more beneficial while they are on such a cheap contract.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think that's a great point. Um, Stone, is there anything that stands out to you that you'd be particularly interested in? Because. Uh, even like we were talking about trade options there's still a chance even if they trade up they still have one of 26 29 or 32 uh especially 32 i would imagine they look to keep that i think they obviously hit a slam dunk was that at 32 that they drafted an empire or it might have been 33 it's 31 it's, last year 31 so yeah. knew it was one of those like top five and in the second round and you know they kind of struck gold and got a super cheap contract with a good contributor there um but if they keep, you know, 26, 29, or 32, Stone, are there any guys who you're interested in this range?
2: Um, the only two guys that really stand out to me would be like maybe a Max Lewis if he were to fall this far. Hmm, yeah. uh, I think that he is a guy that has like that three prong potential as like a shooter, passer, and defender. But also, it's going to take some time to polish a lot of that stuff up. But I think the Pacers are on sort of a timeline. And, you know, if they're taking – this is like an extra pick that they have in their back pocket. They can spend it on a guy that might take a little bit longer to develop. You don't need immediate, you know, um, help right away and, or guys that can contribute within the next two years. I think it could be someone that you take your time to develop and could pay big dividends. Likewise, the other guy with that same line of thinking that, that interests me it would be Nikola Juricic. Uh, maybe he's more of a stash option early on, but I think that over time could be someone that really develops as like, I mean, we in our deep dive, we've talked about how much I'm into his passing, but I think that the um, the, the defense is, is pretty atrocious, but as long as the, the finishing or shooting is there, I think that the passing really, really opens up to be super special. So uh, he might take, you know, he's only 19, might take a stash a year or two to, to for one of those things to materialize a little bit more, but um, I would like the the process of, of taking a guy like that.
0: Yeah. I don't have, I don't have a ton of names. Uh, you know, is this, is this, this, is this the Bobby Clipman's promised spot? I, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't like love it, but like he's <laughs> promised somewhere, somewhere, some team somewhere has promised him. Um, and this could be it. I would, I, I would be interested in city Sissoko here. We talked about Leonard Miller, his teammate. I like both yeah. of them. Uh, I definitely think that, sissoko would excel in this up-tempo offense shooting is obviously a question defense has some issues but like as like a bench wing i think could provide a lot of value at least in the regular season i don't know where his range is but i would really like amari bailey here Uh, you want to get better kind of stronger on the wing defensively i like bailey a lot doing that i think bailey can shoot even though it's like like (laughs) a weird old school two motion maybe larry bird will be really into that um you never know but um that's larry
1: bird yeah, isn't he? Isn't he in the front office now or something? No, he's uh, he's like a consultant that barely comes uh, around. He's uh, only been pictured a few times. Just uh, that's, no, he, that's what
0: I've seen. Like I just like see a yeah. picture. Like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what. You no, doing? it's
1: honestly been a. It's been a big joke because he stepped down in two thousand seventeen, the year Paul George left, and that off was just a hot mess. Uh, I think PG was a little bit like uncertain of what the front office was going to look like without Larry, and then Larry was really involved in that draft when they took TJ Leaf. And Pritchard's the one that gets blamed for it. So everybody's like, oh, Pritchard can't draft. But it's like, yeah, you kind of remember, like, this is a Larry Bird type of guy. Tyler Hansborough, Mason Plum, or Miles Plum, excuse me. And then you got uh, TJ Lee." So it's like Bird has a fetish with those guys. And that's why I was laughing because, like, the first time they showed him there is when uh, Jaime Heikes was there from UCLA. And I actually really like him as a player, but it's just funny because it's like the Pacers for a long time there drafted UCLA guys year after year T.J. Leaf, Aaron Holliday, Ekani Bogu, and then like anybody in the Pac-12 they're like Chris Duarte like I was like can we please just like venture out of uh West Coast basketball but then they just seemed to like it a lot so I was curious about him and then Stone, I wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on a guy uh just lost his name Julian Strother I think that he could make some sense because from Gonzaga and they just drafted Nimhart from Gonzaga and, of course, the coach uh, at Arizona was from Gonzaga as well, and that's who and Matherman played for. I think that that could be something to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's someone that's come up, up on a lot of our podcasts, these team podcasts, because I think he's just someone that fits, like, with every team as a guy who can shoot and has really come a long way defensively, um, at least on ball. So I think that, you know, that that provides value, especially if you're like he seems to be in the late first, early second type of range. So I think that for every team really he provides value. And I, I don't see him, you know, as as not being a good fit for really, really any of the 30 teams.
0: I, I would like I would like that fit a lot too. I just think he's someone who I think I think he can I think he can really hoop and you know I I him him and him and Nemhard had like great chemistry last year at Gonzaga for whatever that's worth um or i guess i should say two years ago but yeah that's uh that's a good list of names there obviously 26 29 32 it's hard to really pick guys we don't like you kind of mentioned jet howard there's some other like really bad defenders who we could probably pick out you know who are who are mocked in this range like or even if they're not bad defenders like i wouldn't love like a kobe brown here he sometimes gets brought up as a guy who could go this high um i just like don't know if he's actually the caliber of shooter that his number this year made it kind of look like and then i wonder you know how he fits in this type of offense but he is used to playing super up tempo. missouri was like uh top of the NCA in terms of like time per possession offensively so um there's definitely some some there's like they could go a lot of ways and i don't know that i'd be mad at really any of them alex you kind of do you kind of agree with that sentiment in general they it's it's hard to kind of mess up a pick in this range because I mean, either you get a guy or you don't, but you're, if you, if you don't, it's hard to be like super mad about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're swinging for the fences here. I mean, at this point, I mean, these draft prospects are all so close in terms of just like what you like and what your feel is like. You can go back however many years ago it was. I mean, it was like 10 or 11 years now. Draymond Green was 35th pick overall. And look at what he turned out to be. Jokic was 41st. Uh, that same draft, I think Chris Middleton was 38 uh, in the 2012 draft with uh, Draymond Green. It's like, you just never really know what's going to happen. And so you just have to really trust your instincts and be really smart about it. But I think a lot of times we overthink things and worry about fit too much instead of just drafting the best overall talent. And I think sometimes like we worry too much about age. That's always a thing that I feel like is overvalued in the draft is age and inability to shoot like yeah we know that sometimes guys that aren't good shooters uh they do have weaknesses especially in today's nba but at the same time if they can do 15 other things really well why should they get knocked down so much because one guy can shoot well but can't do anything else good so i feel like there's just certain things that are a little bit over uh exaggerated in terms of what you're looking for and that ends up biting teams in the butt because you're like well this guy can put the ball in the hoop his tape looks good but uh sometimes you just need like in a sense, like Andrew like he's kind of a boring player to watch. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff pops, like he's a good player, but you're like, what am I really getting with him? Well, you need role players. Role players are still valuable in the league. And trying to find role players in this range is really what you're aiming for, not trying to find the next big star uh, in the later rounds. That's what the, usually that's what the earlier picks are for. It's a fine star. At this point, you're just looking for role players. And if they turn out to be stars, that's great. But you just I think the talent evaluation it's 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 hard work. don't get me wrong I, I think tape can lie to you a little bit but not usually I, I think most of the time uh interviews and workouts can lie to you more than tape will trust the tape that you see and don't get so infatuated with what a guy says off the court. That's just my opinion uh,
0: we're we're hundred percent with you uh we could spend all day talking about the uh <laughs> the the workout the the workout shams of the world um but let's uh stone we can just go briefly here. Couple names at 55 who interest me. I would like Muhammad Gay here. I think that he is like just funky. I think he can probably shoot what the defense looks like in terms of rim protection. It's pretty rough, but maybe he can switch a little bit. Uh, solid developmental guy. If you want to back up big who could maybe play earlier, Colin Castleton would be a great fit here to me. Um, I think he can, he probably can't shoot, but he can really make plays as a five. He's a really good passer like surprisingly versatile defensively he kind of gets lumped in with like traditional bigs sometimes but he's pretty quick laterally he i mean he made kobe brown's life hell uh in that missouri florida game um and then i think seth lundy would be a great fit i don't know if he's here he actually might be a guy who i should have brought up at um you know 32 but i really like seth lundy i think he would be a really good fit just a great shooter good off ball defender um, has some warts on ball defensively, but you're not going to get anyone without warts uh, in this range. And I think he'd be a good, just a good wing bet. Um, Alex, is there anyone for you kind of like in this deep undrafted, you know, 55th pick range, or do you kind of avoid this area of the draft?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know, avoid it, but the the Pacers have been bringing everybody in for workouts. It seems like so Muhammad gay actually had an individual workout today. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then tomorrow, Mojave King is a workout with the Pacers as well. And I think that that could be somebody that has interest. uh, That could be intriguing to the Pacers because he is a really uh, young player and a good shooter. Honestly, I think he was kind of hidden under scoot (laughs) this year, uh, but could be an under the radar type of guy. So we'll see where he's at. I think on ESPN, they have him ranked at like 71st best available. So maybe he's somebody they just look at after the draft and get as an undrafted free agent. But I do like the ability that they have now with having three two-way contracts. So there's always a, a reason why they could do this. But I feel like it, with so many picks, this could be one where they just try to trade it and get some money off of it.
0: I I kind of feel the same way that this could be definitely a sold pick. But when we're talking about 55, we also tend to um, lump in like the UDFAs as well because it's basically the same thing. And and there's, you know, with three you know three two ways i imagine they use at least one on a rookie i, w- I would hope so at least um stone are, are there any guys stand out to you that you'd be interested in here in this range
2: uh just two names real quick um i'll throw trade jamison in there as a backup center option i really like him i think he's super strong um does a lot of little things really really well so i like him and then leon ayers out of bowling green i think he is Uh, a guard that I would would throw a two-way at because I think he's a big guard who uh, can really finish in a lot of different ways at the rim. So um, two guys that I I don't think have a whole lot of buzz around them, but I think probably should more so just as two-way guys. Yeah, and and just kind of looking
0: through their workout tracker, I mean, Jordan Miller's a guy we brought up on here a couple times for teams in this range, Uh, older forward, but can definitely do some stuff um you know you got guys like uh Andre Jackson who I don't think will be here also probably a guy who could have been brought up at 32 but he's yeah really funky really fun um and then the last guy someone who I would really love on this team is Ricky Council um I mean arguably the best like wing guard finisher in this draft I I I honestly don't always get why he's so overlooked like uh, the Arkansas context was weird he has like some of his defensive stuff is really bad. Obviously, the shot looks pretty bad, but he's just such an absurd finisher and athlete, and he gets to the rim all the time. That's worth a bet, especially when you're considering that this is a pretty well-spaced team. Uh, if you did want to take like a super swing for the fences pick around here, he's maybe the highest upside guy we've talked about in this range. Um, Alex, before we kind of wrap things up, we always like to do a – big like overarching view of, of how things are going to go so let's start with worst case because that's to get it out of the way what's like the worst case scenario for
1: the Pacers in the draft and this offseason as a whole okay I would say the worst case scenario is Grady Dick at seven probably <laughs> um, and then keeping all of their picks <laughs> as crazy as that seems um, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would just hate I, I think Outside of the top ten, I mean, I like I said, there's not anybody I really don't like. Uh, even Jed Howard, like, even though I'm not the biggest fan of him, I can make the case for why the Pacers could be intrigued by him. So it's not like I'm going to be mad about anybody in that after 26 range. But Grady Dick at seven feels like a reach. I feel like, other than that, I I, I honestly just think that's that's it for me. I, I can't think of anything else.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair. This is a team that's in a spot where it feels and, and this is like a trend like that we, as we've done this teams that are sort of in this like middle chunk of the lottery that you know, you know, the magic were like this where it's like, the worst case scenario is really not that bad. Uh, you know, maybe you would throw in like a Miles Turner trade, you're not in love with but even like a bad Miles Turner trade, you're still probably getting solid value there. So mm-hmm. I'm with you that it's just, it seems like their offseason options are fairly flat. But best case could still be a home run pick at seven, could be maybe a guy you like in, in the late teens or early 20s. What would that look like for you, Alex?
1: Yeah, so I think best case scenario for me would be drafting Taylor Hendricks at seven and then being able to combine maybe 26 and 29 to move up and, and take a swing on a guy like Gigi Jackson. I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. I just feel like the paces are in this spot where they're still super young, and I talked about it earlier Trying to figure out who their core is, and while they're still not sure who it is, that tells you, like, yeah, they want to make the playoffs, whatever. But at the end of the day, they're still the young team trying to just uh, you know get as much talent as possible. So, I think personally, if they could trade up, uh, get a guy like Gigi Jackson, I, I, I agree with you there, Leonard Miller as well. Uh, one of those two guys makes a ton of sense and not really forfeiting too much other, you know, trade bait there I mean you can move up to three and I could be excited about Brandon Miller for sure if he's there on the board or scoot whatever but at the same time you're giving up probably a lot to do that and how does that impact you down the line so I mean in the moment I'm going to be excited to do it because it's just like you haven't seen the Pacers do something like super gutsy like this yeah they traded Sabonis for Halliburton but riding was kind of on the wall I had to break up him and Turner who had more value Sabonis I mean it made sense they've never really done anything this gigantic of a leap and so this to me would show that they're really aggressive about trying to build a big three to really get this team to be a long-term playoff team for years to come and i think that could excite me but at the same time it's going to cost you quite a bit to to do that so not not necessarily the best but it's probably like the second best
0: no and, and i love that and and you're right that sometimes even if it like doesn't work out the best like for your team to show a lot of initiative is just kind of exciting yeah. um especially for a team like the Pacers where it did feel like, you know, for a solid like five, almost 10 year stretch, like just kind of we're happy being in the middle for Mm -hmm. for a lot of it. And, um, you know, this is a team that's never really broken through in in the history of their franchise. And it would be exciting to see them take a swing like that. Um, But Alex, this has been great. You brought a lot of insight uh, that we really appreciate. All your stuff will be tagged below, but let's people hear from your mouth. Where can they find all your great work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you guys calling it great. <laughs> that, that's always exciting to hear. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm at Alex Golden Me on Twitter. You can find all of my work on my Twitter feed. Uh, try to give out a lot of information about the Pacers. Uh, we have a podcast called Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you aren't subscribed, that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you enjoyed what I had to say on here, then leave us a five star rating review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And, just let us know what you think. We try to have on as many uh, different guests. We had on Tyrese Halliburton last summer. We had on Chad Buchanan, the Pacers general manager, just last month. Uh, Just had Jordan Moore on a couple of weeks ago. So we try to keep it fresh and try to bring players on and get some of the best interviews that we can for you know Pacers Nation. So uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This is a lot of fun. And uh, we talked about a lot of players. It's just crazy how many guys are in this draft that you can just like name off like you're just going off the handle just saying all these different names it's like oh yeah i I forgot this guy i forgot that guy so uh i I think this is to me personally i've heard people say they don't like this draft but i i actually think there's a lot of depth in this draft for sure
0: i i think part of the the issue with this draft is that it's like it's depth that's laid out in a weird way because the drop-offs are so stark in between them like the drop-off from you know for me three for a lot of people four two that next tier is huge it's Mm -hmm. it's like a gigantic um you know cavern there and then it's another big one from you know about 11 or 12 to that next group and then so it's like it makes it feel like there's not a lot of depth but when you when you talk about it in the more abstract like yeah actually from 15 to to 35 there's like 10 guys i'd be really happy with that's pretty good that's a pretty Mm -hmm. solid draft so um yeah this has been great again follow alex let's do his podcast um, do recommend the Jordan war episode. It's always fun to see NBA players get interviewed. And uh, there's a lot of fun stuff there for stone. Our Corner score court. I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. You can just like reading review, all that fun stuff. Check out the website. If you want workout trackers, scouting reports, um, and then obviously breakdowns of the Indiana Pacers and what we think their draft might go like. Uh, thanks to the input again from Alex. This has been the upside swings. to be a draft podcast. We hope you our ceiling. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalshopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalshopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.